0: You are listening to an Elam Church Christchurch podcast. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired by the message you are about to hear. And if you're ever in Christchurch, why don't you pop in and say hello. We'd love to connect. Thank you so much. I know there's been a bit of talking today, but I'm going to try and keep this message lovely and short for you. And it's been on my heart... Um, Like I mentioned before, my name's P. I'm the campus pastor here in Belfast, and it's an honor to be able to share with you this morning. I want to share a message with you called The Stigma of the Spirit. It's a bit of a cryptic title, but it will be clear in a moment um, what I mean when we talk about the stigma of the Holy Spirit. You know, Sarah and I, we've been married for 14 years, which is a really lovely amount of time, a long time. Um, it's 14 years, and uh, when we first got married, we had this goal of combining our finances because we believed that together uh, we could achieve more than we could apart, and that extended to our finances. Um, but what that meant was, practically speaking, was that now we were financially accountable to each other for our purchases. And, uh, and she, because I'd married somebody who loved me deeply... Um, <laughs> That was wonderful, but she still could not understand why, with perfectly good food at home, I was so lured into the local bakery at lunchtime to spend family funds. You know, I clearly did not need lunch, or more than one lunch, for multiple reasons. And uh, so this raises the point and this raises the question. I wonder if you can identify that there's been some time in your life when in order to step into something new, you've had to leave behind something of the old. In order to step into a a great uh, future together financially, I needed to leave behind the spending habits of a single man. (laughs) You couldn't have one without the other. Some people try to walk this line between, well, what if I could have this and not that, and I'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But, but often in situations in life, we just simply can't. It's just, it's just one or the other. In order to move into something new, you have to do something differently. In parenting, um, I've learned this, that the dream of the resort for two holiday is not going to be in the next 15 years. <laughs> And Because if you can't uh, afford a resort for four, resort for six, then, you know, can't leave your kids at home. Maybe in retirement, you're sensing that patterns of living or habits or behaviors need to change in order to best move into the season that's ahead of you. To our teenagers, you guys are establishing yourselves soon as adults. And so there'll be things that you need to leave behind in order to get into the thing that is ahead of you. And I want to uh, share with you today that in our relationship with God, this is absolutely true. That in order to actually have uh, to enter into the new steps that are in front of us, we need to leave behind things of the past. We also need to face obstacles to faith that will always be there. I'm going to call those things the stigma of the spirit. The stigma of Jesus. And that word stigma, let me explain it to you, is only found once in the Bible, in Galatians chapter 6. This is what it says in verse 14 and also in verse 17. I'll read them both to you. It says, um, Paul is writing, and he says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in Greek culture is not something you would boast about. It's something you would hide under the rug. Keep it in the family closet. Don't tell anybody. Um, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, uh, through, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Verse 17, he says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. That word marks in the Greek is the stigma, the stigma of Jesus. You know, in ancient times, uh, soldiers or slaves would have branded on the body the, the name of their master or their, or their military general. And it wasn't something that you would wear proudly like a, like a cultural tattoo on your body. It was something that marked ownership said, I'm owned by this person, or I serve as a, as, a, um, as a soldier for this person. And so Paul, who's writing this, he frames his suffering for Christ in this way. He says, I have this brand on my back, and that brand marks me out as somebody who follows Christ. And what that practically looks like is that there were times when people dragged me, when people humiliated me publicly, when people beat me within an inch of my life, he had been stoned twice and not in the good way. And the people are throwing stones at you, way, And not in a good way, not in the, sorry, poor choice of words. That was not in my notes. Not in the, he had been stoned. I, I, every time I say stoned, I feel like I need to clarify it because... There are people who don't know about one, you know, anyway. Only know, they know one type of stoning, and that's, you know. Let's move on. He suffered greatly, and he says, the fact that I suffered greatly is now a name that is printed on my body, and that name is Christ. It was a stigma. And this is hard. This is hard for us to accept, and this was hard for them to accept, because in Greek and Roman culture, everybody aspired to lead lives of comfort and ease. And not only because uh, comfortable things are, are enjoyable, but because comfortable things brought honor. H- however much comfortable you were, if you had financial comfort, if you had political power, if you had um, all of the good things of life, nice home with no debt, you were Honored in society. You took your place in society as a leader in society. And suffering, suffering took your honor, took your mana away from you. And so Paul says, I glory in my sufferings because it bears the mark of Christ. And that's an obstacle. That's an obstacle for all of us. That's an obstacle for faith. So the Christian Christian. In the first century, in order to fully understand who Jesus was, in order to be faithful in following him, needed to get past the fact that he suffered. They needed to identify with somebody whom nobody wanted naturally to identify with. If they wanted to follow the real Jesus, they had to follow the crucified Jesus because there was not another one to choose from. He's the only one. And same, same with us today, if we want to follow Christ faithfully, we have to follow the Christ who was crucified, who suffered, who called us to suffer. And this is a real barrier for people. You know, many people ask today, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, for the Christian, part of that answer is because you follow Christ, Philippians chapter 2 uses similar imagery when he's talking about who Jesus was. And, and when Jesus entered this, he called us to follow him into it. It wasn't replacement. He, he, he didn't do it so that we didn't have to. This is what Paul says. He says, Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but yet he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He made himself nothing. Some translations say that he emptied himself. How do you follow Christ as well as work to be a worldly success? The scripture suggests that there may not be a path to seek after both. To empty yourself for the sake of Christ is to follow Christ. And there's a stigma that we need to deal with. There are obstacles there. You can't follow the real Christ unless you're following the crucified Christ. To put it this way, God and Jesus looks like a slave. You want to know what God looks like? Christ is a servant and a suffering one. There's a stigma there that we might spend the rest of our lives wrestling with. And I say that to set up this idea that there are things in our relationship with God that we need to come face to face with, and if we don't, we run the risk of not knowing the real God. And so I want to ask the question today all of that was a setup for this question What is the stigma of the Spirit? What are obstacles for knowing God through the Holy Spirit that if we don't? don't focus on, if we don't come to terms with, we will find ourselves not actually hearing God. And the first one, I've only got two for you today. The first one is this, is that he has a still, small voice. He has a still, small voice. The Spirit can speak to you however he wants to speak, whether quiet or loud, but often he speaks in a still Small voice. The prophet Elijah was directed by God to go up to Mount Horeb and, um, and be up there where God was going to speak to him. And then this thing happened. It, said, it says in First Kings chapter 19, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then after the fire came a gentle whisper. God was not in the wind or the earthquake or the other one. (laughs) He was in the whisper, fire. You know, often we say, I'm not hearing from God on this issue. I've been praying for this and I'm not hearing God speak. But what we really mean is I'm not hearing him in the wind. I haven't walked down the road and seen a billboard lately that says, you must do this. I haven't had somebody from the stage give me a prophetic word about this particular issue lately. What we're saying is I haven't heard the loud voice of God lately. And Jesus is saying, come on, my spirit doesn't always speak loud. Doesn't always, it's, a, it's a still, small voice. If you're not quiet enough, you'll miss it. One pastor I love says this, he says, uh, Pastor Rich Velotis, he says, what I love about the Pentecostal tradition, we're a Pentecostal church, is the belief that if we create space, God will meet us in power. Praise God for that. And if you've got a need, we've got a prayer team that actually are expecting that. They want to put uh, their hands on you, they want to pray for you, and they want to seek the Lord on your behalf. And we really do believe God will meet you in that place. But it says this, he goes on to say, but what I love about the contemplative tradition is the belief that if we create space, God will meet us in stillness. You know, church meetings are wonderful things. We like to have meetings that are celebrational. We like to have uh, meetings that are lively and inspiring. But that can create the temptation that God only speaks in lively and inspiring ways. The truth is, the stigma of the Spirit is that he often speaks in quiet ways. Ways that if there are louder voices in our lives, we might not hear it. So I want to ask you what is the loud voice that in your life that might be drowning out the voice of the Holy Spirit? It might be the voice of drama. It's a loud voice. You've got relationships in your world, and a lot of, there's just a lot of drama kicking off. There's a lot of reactivity in those relations kicking off. It can be a loud voice. It might be the voice of social media, where every spare moment you get, you're finding yourself online in, in this world, and it's just the social media giants just feeding you noise after noise after noise, and it's drowning out the still, small voice. It might be the voice of offense. There is something in your life that God's been calling you to let go of. And until you let it go, it's just going to keep shouting at you. And it's drowning out the voice of God. It might be the voice of overachievement. There's this internal voice that keeps saying you need to be more, you need to do more, you need to prove yourself more, you need to be better. And it's a loud voice and it's just drowning out the voice of God that says, I love you as you are. I want to walk this journey with you. And it's a still and quiet journey. And it's it's a journey of wholeness and healing. What do you need to turn down in order to hear God in the stillness and in the quiet? Because the danger is if we only hear the loud voice of God, we miss his quiet, still voice. We only hear him part of the time small portion of what he wants to say. Second challenge for us this morning is this, is that he is spirit. Holy Spirit is spirit. And before we get kind of too mystical, I want to explain myself and this idea here. Because in Western culture, we question anything that we don't fully understand with our mind. I personally think it's a control, a control thing. That we want to understand something and therefore be in a position of control over it, but the spirit we don't fully understand. If somebody said to just the average Kiwi, "You know, I woke up this morning had having the strangest uh, desire to go and do this thing that's unusual to me," then the average Kiwi would probably say, "Oh, that's interesting. Change the subject and move on." We don't like things that we don't control. One example I read this week is of 1905. And if you're not aware, 1905, there was a big revival of Christianity in Wales. It's one of the historical big high points of the last 200 years. And um, there was a couple, uh, English couple in India who had heard about this. So they jumped on the first ship. First shipped to London, they were planning to dock at London and then travel overland to Wales to see the revival, to be a part of the revival. And they got to, and they got to London and uh, they coincidentally, they met up with some, some people they knew, some friends they knew who, um, yeah, who they trusted. And they said, have you heard of this thing in Wales? Have you heard of what God's doing in Wales? And their friend said to them, that's nothing but Welsh emotionalism. The the move of the Spirit in Wales was largely singing with less preaching. Some people found it hard to understand that shift. So this couple, taking the word, taking the advice at face value, got on a ship and went back to India. Missed out. We don't always understand with our minds the things of the Spirit. Holy Spirit is Spirit. We relate to him as spirit, and that's that's an obstacle for many people. That's a stigma. If we get past it, we enter into the new things. But if we don't, then unfortunately, we won't. One uh, definition of feeling led by the spirit and. And if you're not a Christian, you may still identify with this idea but not have put words to it in the past. You might say something like, I just kind of felt like I should be here at church this morning. And uh, you haven't quite put it all together, but what I want to share with you is this, is the one definition of feeling led by the Spirit is simply knowing something but not necessarily being able to explain how it works or how you know. You might wake up one Sunday And simply know you've got to be at church. You don't normally go to church, but you think, I just want to go to church. I don't know why I want to go to church. It's not something I normally want to do, but i just got to be there. You might have a feeling to start to minister or to start to serve on a team in some way. You think, I want to be involved with this kind of ministry. I want to serve this type of person. You can't explain it. It's a new experience, and it comes with some anxiety. But you just kind of know in your heart that that's what you need to do. You know that it's right. One question I've asked myself that's really helped me when it comes to discerning the spirit is the question, is it right? Not why do I think it's right, because then I, my mind goes into the reasoning and to to understand things. But do it in my spirit, in my heart, in my soul, do I think that this is Right. And you might say, I don't know why I think it's right, but I do think it's right. It's an example of relating to God as spirit. Just invite the keys to come. I want to share with you an example of, somebody answered the question, is it right? There's a, a pastor in the States in the late 70s called Pastor John Wimber. He was reading his Bible and he became convinced That the ministry of Jesus is our model for today. Now, that that, that doesn't seem like a controversial thing, but what it means is is that the healings and the miracles of Jesus are available for the church. So he began to think like this, and he began to take his journey, uh, take his church on the journey to earnestly pray for and see healing in the church. He preached about healing. He taught theology around healing and he prayed for hundreds of people for 10 months and saw no healings. The Holy Spirit had spoken to Pastor John and he had shown him scriptures that confirmed that the ministry of Jesus is still for today. He knew in his spirit that it was right. Plenty of voices around him telling him that it was not right. But he knew in his heart that it was true, and that God was in it. But the stigma of the situation, the thing that he needed to press on past, the obstacle of faith was that when he prayed for people, they would not get healed. For weeks and for months, for 10 months. Then on the, in February 1978, he was invited to go and pray for a church member's wife, and he was feeling on the way there deflated and faithless when he went over to their house. This is hilarious what what God did in this moment. He prayed for her. It says that he he, he says that he just prayed a kind of faithless prayer. The words came out, but the heart wasn't in it. And as soon as he had prayed that prayer, he turns to his uh, to, to her husband and says, "You know, God doesn't heal every time." <laughs> it's like he was prepared to say that, right? Because you, you know, you know how it would be. God doesn't heal every time. And as soon as he said those words, this lady sat bolt upright in bed, 100% healed. That that was a moment where it was like the floodgates opened. God began to heal in such amazing and powerful ways. And a lot of the understanding and a lot of the leadership that we have around the gifts and the things of the Spirit today are rooted in this time where Pastor John Wimber, amongst many others, sought God when he could be found. John chapter 3 verse 8 says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everybody born of the Spirit. There are some things that we just know in our hearts that are right, but we don't know why. We don't understand why. The situation itself could even be unusual. You might face a conflict because you hold a particular view and you don't even really know why you hold that view. But the question is, is it right? Is God calling you to that? Do you feel that God is in it? There are so many questions that we could ask Pastor John. Why did it take so long? Surely, Lord, surely five months of waiting would have been sufficient, not ten. Surely even just six weeks probably would have been okay. But it was ten months, and none of those questions matter as much as simply understanding that the Holy Spirit is spirit, and He will do what He will do in His timing as God has planned it. So as we close today, I want to invite you to join me in a prayer. You might have prayed a prayer like this many times. Or maybe for you, this is a first. And we're going to pray and we're going to give God an opportunity and an invitation to move right here and right now through His Spirit. And this this invitation has two parts. The first part, is for God to come and move as a community right here in this room. And the second part, which is actually more important for you, is for you personally to invite God to come and move with just you. So often we want God to move in the room, but we don't want Him to move in our hearts. So our invitation this morning is for God to come and move in us as a church, And in our hearts. And the reason we want to invite God is because so often we just storm ahead with our own plans, expecting God to keep up with our pace. And God says, just slow down. Just quieten things. Let's do things at my pace and my plans. So we invite him to come and do what he wants to do in his timing and his plan. With every head bowed and eye closed, let's just pray together this morning. Holy Spirit, we want to invite you to come right now and move in our midst and in our hearts right now. Come and move in my heart right now. Holy Spirit, we don't want to seek to control you by trying to understand how you work. We just want to come into a deeper relationship with you right now by being in your presence. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are a speaking God. Your desire is to speak. We don't have to go up to heaven to earn our way into your presence. You have deposited your presence in this room and in our hearts. We want to give you full permission right now to come and to move. Thank you for listening to this Elam Church Christchurch podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit www.elamchristchurch.org or connect at one of our services every Sunday at 10am.